0: Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Good thing we took a deep breath before that song. I still almost hyperventilated. Glad you're here today. If you're a guest of ours, we are especially honored to have you with us this morning. I want to begin my thoughts by telling you a story. preacher goes to a a little congregation to to, to preach their um, kind of a visiting thing, and he begins by saying, I think this church needs to start walking. And someone way in the back shouts, let her walk, preacher, let her walk. And he said, in fact, I really think this church needs to start running. And the same voice says, let her run, preacher, let her run. Now he's starting to feel some energy from the crowd. And he says, in fact, this church needs to fly. The same voice says, let her fly, preacher, let her fly. Now starts pounding the podium and says, And if the church is going to fly, it's going to take money. And the voice in the back said, Let her walk, preacher. Let her walk. You take a look at the slide here. Anyone take a wild guess what the sermon's about today? Stewardship, which is kind of a Bible word for how we handle our money. Uh, Talking about giving today. Aren't you glad you came? I don't want you to panic, though. This isn't the beginning of a 12-week sermon series. it's Kind of a one-time thing. But we need to talk about giving a little bit. And the reason why we need to talk about giving is because Jesus talked about giving. And he talked about it a lot. And so this morning, you're getting a sermon on giving. And the only apology that I'm going to make is the fact that I haven't done it sooner. And that we haven't talked more about giving. In fact, I've been back three and a half years, and this is the first time I've spoken on giving. I won't wait three and a half years again. But I suspect that Jesus was probably the very first preacher who heard the criticism is all He talks about is money. Because Jesus did talk about money a lot. Consider this. One-sixth of all the comments made by Jesus in Scripture have to do with, with stewardship in some form. One-third of all the parables told by Jesus has to do with stewardship of some form. Jesus talked more about money than anybody else in the New Testament. In fact, the only thing really that Jesus talked more about was the kingdom of God. And so it makes sense that we should view our giving through a kingdom lens. Followers of Jesus need to be aware of our giving. Because I'm convinced that one of the biggest obstacles to a lot of people's growth in discipleship is their attitude about money. In church, we sort of hesitate to talk about money. And I think maybe it's because we don't want to send the message that we've got some kind of hidden agenda or some sort of ulterior motive. And I'll tell you up front, we do have an agenda, but it's not what you think. And there is a motive, but it's not what you think it might be. In fact, I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what really the the emphasis of this lesson is this morning. And that is, we can't grow in discipleship until we grow in stewardship. Period. End of sentence. It really is as simple as that. We can't grow in discipleship until we grow in stewardship. Jesus knew that one of the greatest rivals for our hearts, our minds, our affections was a God, little g, an enslaving master called money. That's why He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve too. And notice the word that He uses. It's very intentional. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus describes money not as some cold utilitarian currency, some thing. He describes it as a master. He describes it as something vying to take the place that only God deserves. Jesus is saying, you can't serve God and money. Can't do it. Now, you can try. People try all the time. Churches are filled with people who are trying to serve both God and money. But what Jesus is saying is, God's not going to accept your worship if something else is taking His place. God's not going to accept your worship if you're putting anything else before Him. The very first command that God gives Moses to give to the people to have no other gods before me. That's why in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, a young man, we call him the rich young ruler. A guy that really anybody would love to have on their team comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? Great question. Jesus says, you know the commandments, keep the commandments. The young man says, I've kept the commandments. Since I was a child, I've kept the commandments. And Jesus tells him, one thing you lack. You're close. You're so close. But one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And we're told that that man went away sad because he had great wealth. And have you ever noticed when we're looking at this story that Jesus doesn't go running after him? Wait, 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 no, come back, come back. I was speaking metaphorically. Jesus doesn't do that. He did not say, I was speaking in generalities, come back, of course I wasn't speaking literally, let's talk about it. Jesus lets him go. In fact, we're told Jesus has compassion on him. And he still lets him go. Why? Because Jesus knew this guy has not obeyed every commandment. In fact, he's missed the very first one. He's violated the first one. He's got a God that comes before Jehovah. He's putting money in the place that only God deserves to be. Why did Jesus talk so much about money? I think because He knew we think so much about money. Luke chapter 16, verse 9. I tell you, Use your, use your worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. In this way your generosity stores up rewards for you in heaven. Jesus says you need to take your earthly resources, you need to take your money use it in a way that's going to make a difference long after you've left this place. Now we talk about the idea of uh, salvation being free. And it is. It is free. It's a gift. But the work of the Lord... Doing ministry, helping people, serving people, equipping people, that costs money. It always has. It always will. And I'm trying this morning to be just as transparent as I can possibly be. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. It takes money to do ministry. And I don't think we should apologize for asking Christians to fund the very things that God has commanded us to do. And this morning, I've got some good news for us. Actually, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is, this congregation, the Bay Area Church of Christ, we have enough money to fulfill every dream that God has placed before us. We do. We have enough money to fulfill every spiritual dream that God might have challenged us with. That's the good news. The bad news, most of it's still in our pocket. It's never a question of dollars and cents. It's always a question of hearts and attitudes. And I've always believed that one of the surest ways that you can tell what's truly important to someone just follow the money. Where are they spending their money? The way we view money, the way we use money, says an awful lot about our hearts and about our attitudes concerning this life and as well as the life to come. Now I want you to do this for me for, for a minute this morning. I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that you lived about 150 years ago, back in the time of uh, the very end of the Civil War. And you were living in the deep, deep South and you had all this um, confederate currency you were wealthy you had, a, you had a tremendous amount of confederate currency but you kind of see the handwriting on the wall and you understand that okay it looks like the union is going to win this civil war and you know that pretty soon when the new government comes into effect the currency that you're holding is going to be worthless what do you do with that currency? well if you're smart you get rid of it you exchange it for currency that's going to matter, and currency in a government that's going to last, because you say there's a government coming, and this government's going to last. So you're going to keep just enough of that Confederate currency kind of get you through the short term. But what you're doing is exchanging the rest of that for a government that's going to last. Jesus says, that's how you need to view your short time here on this Earth. There's a new kingdom coming, and in that kingdom, you're going to want to have the right currency. Because with the new kingdom arrives, the, the currency that we covet, that we work so hard for, that we try to hold on so tightly, it's going to be worthless. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 19 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy
1: and where thieves do not break
0: in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You notice the order that Jesus says that? It's important. He doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knew when my money leads, my heart's going to follow. Someone once said that every single day we are alive, we are either moving closer to our treasure or moving farther away from our treasure. It just depends on where our treasure is. If our treasure is in heaven, then every day we're alive, we're one day closer to our treasure. If our treasure is here on this earth, every day we're alive, we are one day farther away from our treasures. Okay, I want to be as practical as I can be this morning. So I want to spend the rest of our time um, talking on just some reasons why we should give back to the Lord. Some reasons why why I should even be talking about giving, let alone carrying it out. And here's the first reason, and I think maybe it's the best. I give to the Lord because I've been commanded to give to the Lord. The God of heaven and earth has commanded me to give back to Him. And if, really, if there was no other reason than that, for me, that'd be a good enough reason. Now, you have heard this old analogy a lot of times before, but it still fits the idea that so many people kind of view their Christian walk as more of a bicycle ride
1: on one of the old
0: two-seater bicycles. And for a long time, we were riding that bicycle by ourselves, it was really hard. It was difficult, and it was hard to maneuver. It was hard to keep it going. There was a lot of starts and stops. And we struggled along the way. And then we meet Jesus. And we invite Jesus to come along with us. And Jesus gets back on the the back of the bike with us. And he starts pedaling. And all at once, wow, life is a lot easier. Now I'm making so much better time. The valleys aren't quite as deep. The hills aren't quite as steep. The the rough places have been smoothed out. Life is so much easier with Jesus pedaling with me. But, of course, you know that's not a very good metaphor. Because in the Christian life, when we meet Jesus, Jesus tells us very plainly, I want to sit in the front. I want to steer the bike. You get on the back. You pedal. Let me take you where I want to take you. And we're pretty hesitant to do that. But if Jesus really is the Lord of our life, He's the one deciding where we go. Maybe he'll take us places that we never would have imagined. But he knows so much better than we do. If Jesus is driving the bike, he's in charge of your life, and that changes everything. That changes everything because you can't separate your stewardship from his lordship. You just can't. I want Jesus sitting in the front seat, I want my life to go where he wants it to go. And I know that Jesus doesn't care very much about me making a lot of money. But He does care about making disciples. I'm commanded to give. Here's another reason why I give. I give because the church is worth it. You know, we give to all kinds of worthy causes all the time. None more worthy than the Lord's church. We read in the New Testament about first century Christians bringing money and laying at the feet of the, the leaders there, for them to disperse and to spend as they see fit. I happen to believe that that plan honors God. And I happen to believe that God honors me when I submit to that plan. Even if I don't always agree with the way those funds are being allocated. I'll tell you this, I have been involved on some level with church budgets in different places for the past 25 years probably, and I don't think I've ever seen a church budget that I have completely agreed with. I always would do it a little bit differently. I'd spend maybe a little bit more here, maybe a little bit less there. I might not find that. I don't know. But if I were the one doing it, you wouldn't agree with it either, 100%. Churches aren't perfect. Church leaders aren't Perfect but that's never diminished my commitment to give to the congregation I'm serving with. I believe it when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't conquer it. I believe that our battle is not against flesh and blood. But our battle is against spiritual forces, evil spiritual forces. And I think the church is one of the best weapons we have to combat Satan. I believe I honor the groom when I support his bride. And I believe that Christians and the church are the hope of the world as far as pointing people to Jesus. Here's another reason I give. I give because I support the vision of the church. I love what the church does with the money we give. I love the fact that people are being helped. I love the fact that next Sunday, a week from today, all of our contribution is going towards sending Bibles all over the world. A couple of places in India, a couple of places in Venezuela, uh, Eastern Europe, Haiti. I'm probably missing some. But we're going to take the money that we give next week and we're going to spend it on Bibles, sending them to places where people are hungry for Bibles. And these are people that we, we, we have a connection with. These are people that we have people there that are saying, We don't have enough money to give them all Bibles. You know what they need? They need Bibles and we can't afford it. And the leadership here said, let's do something about that. I hope next week we blow it out of the water. I am excited about the idea of the money I put in the plate next week is going to turn into a Bible in somebody's hand. I'll probably never meet them. I'll never know where that ends up. But God's going to use that. I support the vision of the church. I love the fact that there are people in this room right now who came to know Jesus through this family, through the Bay Area Church of Christ. Some of you would be lost without this congregation. I support the fact that there will be people who come to know Jesus through this congregation. I'll support that. I'll give to that. Salvation's free. Ministry is not. Here's another reason why I give. I give because I want to be a good example to my children, as my parents were to me. I talked last week on Mother's Day about legacy and about our influence on other uh, future generations. My father is famous for telling people you can never outgive God. And I have watched him my entire life. Prove that. I've learned more about giving from my father than anyone else, and he has never once set me down and said, "Here's some verses on giving. I want you to study them and learn them." I just watched what he spent his money on. I just saw when he got his wallet out of his out of his back pocket. My father taught me that the first debit from your paycheck goes to God. Every paycheck. Every week. Before you allocate any other funds, you give to God first. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And again, a good way to find out where somebody's heart is, just follow the money. I want to teach my children that I believe with all my heart that Jesus meant it when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Anything else to be taken care of? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this. Remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves you're a cheerful giver. Listen, this, this thing we do. contributing. It's not some act of worship that we've got to make sure we check off a box and get it done. I don't give because I have to. I don't give because I feel like Paul uses the word under compulsion. That's not why I give. I don't give because I have to. I give because God didn't have to. All the good and perfect gifts that I have are from above. God didn't have to give me those things. God didn't have to send Jesus to die for me. God didn't have to offer me forgiveness and grace and mercy. I don't give because I have to. I give because God didn't have to. God loves a cheerful giver because He is one. He delights in blessing His children. So, how much should I give? Well, Paul says, give what you've decided in your heart to give. You want to know my opinion? And this is just me. This is just my opinion. No one has told me to say this. I think 10% is a good place to start. You say, wait a minute, 10% tithing, that's Old Testament. Nowhere in the New Testament does it give us a percentage. Nowhere in the New Testament is tithing mentioned. You know my response to that. Again, this is just me. You're right. Nowhere in the New Testament does it talk about an amount. But are you trying to tell me that in the the old law, the minimum requirement for God's people was 10% and you're going to try to convince me that under the new covenant that we who understand grace so much more perfectly, that we who have the Holy Spirit living within us, that we should be expected to give less? I think, if anything, we should be expected to give more. But that's very seldom the case. There's been a tremendous amount of research done on this, across all religions, really. Um, uh, In America, Christendom, uh, all denominations, all churches, all sizes, all ethnicities, about a third of the people who attend church never give anything to the church where they attend. The average American who calls themselves a Christian gives between 1% to 2% of their income after taxes to the Lord. I would argue that God has blessed this generation financially, maybe more than any generation that's ever walked the face of the earth. And one day we're going to stand before God and give an account of how we handled our money. And yet most Americans have somehow convinced ourselves that we're just barely getting by. I can't give to the Lord because I don't have any left over. All I can really give is you know is this pittance. Proverbs chapter three Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. The whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. You know what those verses are saying? Those verses are saying, you can't outgive God. You can't do it. That it's not a money issue. It's a trust issue. And the question really becomes, do I trust God? Do I trust Him? Do I really believe the promises that He's made? Do I trust God to be faithful when it comes to the promises that He's made as far as my attitude about giving? Am I going to be obedient to his word? I have noticed in my lifetime, and again, this is just me, my observation, I have no data to back this up, but it seems to me that the most faithful people I know are always the most generous. And the most faithful and generous people I know are always the most joyful. It just works that way we might have been born as takers, but as Christians, we've been born again as givers. I want you to take a look at an Olympian. This guy's name is Matt Emmons. Some of you are going to remember his story. He competed in the 2004 Games in in Athens. He was America's best marksman, favored to win the gold medal. The event was the 50-meter, three-position rifle competition. With one round to go, Matt Emmons was so far ahead I mean he'd almost lapped the field the gold medal was completely wrapped up all he had to do on his final shot was to just hit the target, that's how far ahead he was he didn't have to hit the bullseye, he just had to hit the target and the gold medal would be his that's a picture of Matt Emmons right after his final shot he doesn't look real excited, does he? he hit the target by the way In fact, he hit the bullseye dead center, about the size of a dime, dead center on his final shot. But in an unbelievable mistake, Matt Emmons was standing in lane two, and he hit the target in lane three. And he went from first place to eighth place with one pull of the trigger. Could you imagine getting to the end of your life and looking back and saying, I have hit every target that I ever aimed for only to realize that you've been aiming at the wrong target. That's why Jesus talks so much about money. Because He wants us to aim well. I know that some of you, as soon as you saw that slide this morning, you tuned me out. And that's okay. But I also know that for some of you, again, the way we handle money is the number one obstacle as far as your growth as a disciple of Jesus, more than anything else. So I'm asking you this morning, really all I'm asking, is that you take your stewardship seriously. That you think about what you're doing with your money and what you're giving to God. That you pray about your stewardship I'm not asking for a number I'm not asking for a percentage I'm not asking for a promise I'm not asking you to fill out a commitment card maybe I should all I'm asking is that you would prayerfully consider how you spend your money because you can't separate your stewardship from Jesus' lordship and again you've got to decide can I trust him does Jesus really know what he's talking about Can I trust God to be faithful to me if I'm faithful to Him in every aspect of my life? Can I trust Him with my future? Can I trust Him with my relationships? Can I trust Him with my money? Because remember, you're either moving closer to your riches or farther away from your riches. It all depends on where your riches are. Hey, thanks for staying with me this morning on the Sermon on Giving. Um, I'm excited about next week, about Bible Sunday. Um, Dave's got a song that we can use as a song of encouragement, Uh, as always, as a family. If there's something going on in your life that you just need the prayers of people who love you, we would love to pray with you. They'll do anything that we can to help you as we help each other in our Christian walk. If you need us here at the front, we'll do what we can. Let's stand and sing.